the 10th chapter of Hebrews says that these are people who had gone through hard times before and ask them to recall those earlier days when you endured hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution. The people for whom this book was written were discouraged, disheartened. So they're sent a book that's really, it's less like a letter and more like a sermon, a sermon that urges the faithful, confident of their covenant relationship with God to follow Christ's example and live as he did, faithful, hopeful, loving, and patient in the face of persecution. Listen now for God's word for us in the 13th chapter of Hebrews. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. For God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. Who can do anything to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O oh Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable, be pleasing in your sight our rock, and our redeemer. Have you ever been to Philadelphia? Well, en route to points further north, like New York City, I've been through that city of one and a half million people, the sixth largest city in the United States. I've been through it several times. I've seen a lot of it in movies. You remember Rocky running up those steps? National Treasure, the Philadelphia story. I've seen a lot of it, but I've never been to Philadelphia. Now I know Betsy Ross made a 13 star flag there that I know that they've got this famous cracked bell and that both the Declaration of Independence and the United States Constitution were written there. But I've never been there. I watched the Sixers, the Eagles, and the Phillies. I know they have a hockey team, but I hadn't watched them. <laughs> I've had a Philly cheesesteak 
I've had Philadelphia cream cheese, but I've never been to Philadelphia. Well, if you ask anybody around here, how do you get to Philadelphia? Most folks would say, you find I-95 down the road here, and then you go about 375 miles north, and there it is. But that is not what the writer of Hebrews says in the verses we read just now. What he does is urges readers to do or not do eight things with that goal of living the life and of service that is well-pleasing to God. Here they are. Now, don't worry. We'll get back to Philadelphia later. One, don't neglect hospitality to strangers. Two, remember people who are prisoners or those who are being tortured. Three, honor marriage. Four, keep free from money, love, and be content. Five, don't be afraid. Six, remember the faith leaders. You know, I know you're thinking of Jack Sherman, aren't you? <laughs> and other folks like that. Continually offer praise. And then the last, eighth one, don't, don't neglect to do good and to share. So let's look a little closer. First, don't neglect hospitality to strangers. I remember um, not so long ago after a long drive through slow traffic, Betty and I checked into our hotel and I, I took hold of one of those big carts, you know, that you put all your luggage on so you only make one trip. And a bellhop stopped me and said, uh-uh, you can't do that. I have to be with it at all times. He had to accompany the cart. Well, they won't fit in my car. What would I do with it? <laughs> so I called out to Betty, who was over at the car. Honey, do you, you want to put them on the car, or do you want to just drag them along? Well, the bellman said, oh, I see who wears the pants in your family. <laughs> She's the boss. Well, I had an alternative explanation for him, but anyway, later on, his boss, who had witnessed all this, stopped as we were going out and said, oh, sir, I'm so sorry about what this fella said and all that. You know? And I said, well, don't worry about it. Just remember, you and your staff need to remember just one thing. Well, maybe it's two. First, you're not in the insult business. You're in the hospitality business. Hospitality is one of those words that has some odd word relatives. The English word hospital, well, the words hospital, hotel, hospice, and a few others, not to mention host, all of them have Latin uh, roots in that one Latin word, H-O-S-P-E-S, which means a guest or a visitor. But guess what? It also means somebody who provides lodging or entertainment for a guest or a visitor. We think of hospitality as making guests welcome, seeing to their needs. Can I get you a soft drink? You know. Directions to the restroom, whatever. But in Bible days, hospitality was, it was the act of extending welcome, providing food and drink and lodging and other amenities to visitors. In, the, in general, hospitality involved the process of receiving outsiders and changing them from strangers to guests. 
So hospitality is different from entertaining family and friends. It's not just offering food and drink and comfortable chair and other information or whatever. Hospitality is a relationship between the guest and the host. Okay, the second exhortation, encouragement we read, told us, remember people in two dire circumstances, those who are prisoners and people who are being tortured. To be mindful of those who are in prison or torture requires, requires some empathy. I used to tell folks, if you ever want to feel like a criminal, go visit somebody at the jailhouse, at least in Wake County. I don't know. Because you get treated like you're probably guilty of something, too. In fact, one time I had a, I had a client who was in prison, and the other folks at my office, at the staff, said, why are you going to see that? And I go, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, it's in the book. These were people who claimed to be Christians. It's in the book. I was in prison, and you visited me. It was Jesus saying that. Pay attention to prisoners. Well, it takes empathy. Being able to put ourselves in another person's shoes. To feel at least some of what they feel. To see them at least a little bit like us, like ourselves. I think the major barrier to our being able to do that is when we get to making ourselves judge and jury and we feel entitled to condemn people with no thought to how they may feel. Well, the fourth exhortation there, keep free from money, love, be content. Well, that's tough because, you know, our economy really, it runs on consumerism. Consumerism is based basically on desire and fear. Desire for more and fear. Somehow we don't have enough. I better get, get some old batteries and water before the storm gets here, right? I buy the old store out, right? Fear that somehow maybe we're not good enough unless we got more. So commercials by the thousands bombard us with promises to satisfy our longings, to assuage our fears. I remember in the very first episode of the TV series Mad Men, The uh, main character in that series, the advertising genius, Don Draper, he explains advertising is based on happiness. And happiness, happiness is the smell of a new car. You can almost say, ooh. Happiness is a billboard on the side of the road that screams reassurance that whatever you're doing, you're okay. It's okay. Well, Draper's commercials and advertisers try to accomplish what that fifth exhortation says. Don't be afraid. The problem is, you see, that fear is a very powerful emotion that can lead individuals or nations to make terrible decisions. Well, that leaves admonitions six, seven, and eight, right? Remember faith leaders, like I say, Jack Sherman, for example, continually offer praise and one way of offering praise is actually prayer as well as worship. And eight, don't neglect to do good and share. Oops, I skipped one, didn't I? The third exhortation was to honor marriage. Well, you could say the point of exhortation number three, honor marriage, that's connected with all the other seven in this way. Every one of them have to do with the importance of community, 
and faith. Now, the other week I mentioned that the scholar uh, Francis Taylor Ginch said that this book of Hebrews speaks of faith more than any other book in the New Testament. These eight exhortations, admonitions, they're not quite commandments, are they? They're all about that connection between community and faith. We know that part of the reason this letter was written to the Hebrews is that their community was falling apart. They weren't meeting together. They were discouraged. They were disheartened. They wanted the second coming to go ahead and happen. But Paul's message was, not to, was to not give up on their community of faith. We're not called to be faith loners. We're not called to be church hermits. We're called to be a community of faith because our, lots of times our faith wouldn't survive without the community of faith around us. And how does that community endure? Well, well now we're getting back to Philadelphia. You remember the very first verse we read from the 13th chapter of Hebrews? Let mutual love continue. Guess what? The Greek word for mutual love is Philadelphia. Remember one time a lawyer had asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus told him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. And the second, that's the first commandment. And the second is like to, unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We have to remember that love is not just a, it's not just one of those warm, fuzzy, friendly feelings. Love, that is Christian love, is an action verb. The writer of Hebrews has given us eight ways to act on Christian love by not neglecting hospitality to strangers, by remembering people who are imprisoned or tortured, by honoring marriage, by keeping free from money love, by not being fearful and making decisions on the basis of fear by remembering our faith leaders and those who've inspired us in our lives, by continuing to offer praise, to pray, by not neglecting to do good, by not neglecting to share. So as we seek to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, that is, to get to Philadelphia, the Greek version, not the city, to get to mutual love, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so close and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. Thanks be to God. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise the words of the prophets. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And make, may your spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do this. Amen.